Hello. We want to give a warm welcome to all of our listeners. Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. This is episode number 27. I'm your host, Daniel. And I'm here with Jonathan, as usual. We hope everyone is doing well and taking one day at a time. Wouldn't you agree, Jonathan? You know, yes, I agree. It's a must that we take it one day at a time. You know, I really had the opportunity to really sit and really think about some things this weekend. Now I know that I must take some time and correct a few mistakes, things that I've done. You know, this month has been amazing. But the previous month, you know, I was hit with some random issues. And I haven't really gotten back on track with some goals that I had. Interesting enough, after listening to the first half of last week's episode that we did about the thought life, I realized that I need to do some things differently and do things better in some areas of my life. And I made me really reflect on some things and I think reflection is important and intentional and necessary for growth you know wouldn't you agree yeah I feel like we can learn a lot in our time of reflection but one thing I do want to point out about reflection is a lot of times people use reflection as a time to strengthen their own negative perspective on things and it's a dangerous thing that tends to happen where thoughts that aren't exactly the most healthy um, get reinforced and you buckle down on weaknesses and turn bad thoughts into things that shouldn't have been there to begin with. So I think the most important word that you mentioned there was intentional. Use reflection in a way that allows you to remove biased thoughts or biased thought patterns or bad habits and try to reflect in a way that allows you to utilize the kingdom mindset to its fullest. Yeah, I would agree with that. I guess one of the reasons why I said intentional, you know, reflecting is because the intention is to look at things that you could do better on. You don't want to ponder on them. But you definitely want to put things in proper perspective. So for an example, right? Maybe you had a goal to achieve something. And in achieving that thing, it requires you to study or it requires you to put applicable amount of time into accomplishing something. But every time you go, to proceed to do that, things get in the way. Obviously, you're upset. Obviously, those things are sidetracking you on the ultimate goal. So sometimes you get so caught up in dealing with life's issues and situation that it overwhelms you so much that you don't see yourself going back to achieve what you set out to achieve. But instead, you're so worried not concerned worried that these issues that you're going through will continue to happen and it won't subside so i had to come to realize that these things sidetracked you but don't lose sight of the ultimate goal and that's to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve so sitting back and realizing that that was a season of hardships and you actually, you know, survived it. Or I would think, you know, you overcame the storm, right? You saw the other side. And now that you've gone through that, it's just a season of time in which things haven't gone in the direction you would have hoped. And now you could press forward, realizing that you overcame it. You see the other side now. So that was more of the reflection. Because when you're going through trials and tribulations, it's not that you don't see positiveness in it. What you see is a lot of terrible things happening, and you sometimes get suffocated by those things. 
you don't necessarily have hope in those moments sometimes, depending on where you are in life. And those things could bring you down so much that you lose the desire to chase or pursue a goal. So for me, it was obviously the word of God that kept me through those times. But eventually I realized that this is just a season of hardships. This is just a season of things not going in your the way that you hope. Now that I've come out of it, now I can press forward and hopefully accomplish what I set out to want to accomplish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And to add on to it, ironically enough, I set a, a goal, a little, um, a little mini goal. I always do that at the beginning of the week where I say to myself what I want to focus on. And I do that thing to the best of my ability throughout the week. And, you know, this week was really challenging because I've been sick all week. Mm. And as you already know, I, I, work a, I work a lot of hours. So trying to just push through and, uh, you know, take a day or so to myself with all the stuff that has been transpiring recently. It's like I said to myself at the beginning of the week, regardless to what happens, I want to keep a positive mindset. That's number one. And the next thing would be to do. And it's a really simple goal, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes we... Doing is a lot harder when it's all these things are kind of being thrown in your face at once. And I remember it was around Tuesday. It's really busy at the store that I work at. And, you know, I also had like a, a girlfriend, she works with me as well. And it was just constant her coming out to try to come talk to me when she was on break. And I still had stuff to do. And then if it wasn't that, it was like somebody needed help at all points during the day, whether it was a customer or a fellow co-worker, me trying to just focus on the one thing that needed to get done of me just fixing something that needed to go out or a manager calling me. Or if it wasn't that, it was uh, a customer service. It was, just, it was just somebody needed something at all points. And it was like I wanted to just. Explode. I wanted to revert, yeah, not not explode, but like revert back to what I was used to, which is you know, not putting myself in an isolated stage where I don't have to speak with anybody because that's typically what I do when I feel overwhelmed. Is let me be by myself so I can gather my thoughts together. But my goal for the week was to push through and do and make sure I continue to handle all the situations I dealt with. So I was able to do that. And then, you know, getting sick during the week was tough. And as bad as I was feeling, it was like, well, I still need to make sure I go out into the world and do what needs to get done. So and keeping a positive mindset through all that. And even though it seems like sometimes things won't work, I said to myself, I want to make sure I'm doing the best that I can to make things work. Like I don't want to have a mindset where I'm thinking like, oh, it's just doomed or it's just over or this can't work out. My mindset was to just do the best that I could and try to contain those negative thoughts and turn them into positive ones. And, I, you know, not just the end of the week, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself because I was able to make it through. So sometimes the way you think about things can um yeah allow you to um push through in, in tough times so cool so, i thought yeah. that went hand in hand with what you experienced all right cool so you were able to get through it that's what counts right just being able to make it through you know and remain composed under those circumstances mm. yeah so let's begin with prayer Right? Sounds like a good thing. All right, everyone, bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, the one and true God, we thank you so much. We have many things for what you've done and yet continue to do. We ask that you open up our eyes, ears, heart, and mind to read your word in proper lenses. 
We ask that you open up our understanding to get to know you more. We ask for insight and seek your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And please provide us peace of mind and give us another breath of fresh air. We say this with so much thanksgiving in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, the topic today isn't for everyone, but to be honest, right out the gate, I think we all need to be humble from time to mind. Jonathan, is there something you want to talk about in terms of uh, self-righteousness? Yeah, I want to talk about the era of self-righteousness, right? Mm. And, you know, self-righteousness is viewed in so many different contexts, but I want to point specifically to the Bible. And for many people out there, I want to also make it very clear that these topics that we come up with weekly aren't ideas that we come in with and then we read the scripture. We actually read the scripture first and then out of the scripture comes the topic. I know so often people look at what they're going through in life daily and then they go to the Bible for the answers. I think sometimes what has to happen is that you go to the Bible first. And out of the Bible, you gain perspective, you gain insight, you view things in the proper context. And when you know a series of different books in the Bible pretty well, you then begin to draw out information and then you apply it to your life. You know, so often there are help guides out there that speak about different topics and then there are scriptures for that. And there's no issue with that. Just in the series and how we're going about it is we're reading the gospel and out of the gospels, we're pulling out knowledge and insight that we can gain in those contexts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure we understand that. And I want to make sure people realize that's the whole point of reading your Bible daily is because the Bible gives you insight to what you're going through. Right. And when it gives you insight to what you're going to. In the proper context, you see how it gets addressed. So I want to make that very clear. So we begin out of the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 37 through 54. Now, this is a lot, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to have Daniel read it through, and then we're going to break it down in increments, okay? And we're going to show you some things going on. We're going to fine-tune it, break it down, unpack it, and hopefully there could be something you can get out of today. All right, so let's get started. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respect greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, You insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, 
I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So let's give you a round of applause for that. That was a lot to read, a lot to, you know, share. And there's a lot to take in. Right. So as I mentioned earlier, before Daniel started reading, we are going to look at this text and unpack it in section. I really want us to see what Jesus is doing here. And so I say, let's learn from the master himself. All right. So let's begin at verse 38. What's it say, Daniel? When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in reclined at the table. But the Pharisees were surprised when he noticed that Jesus had not first washed before the meal. So the first thing we can see in verse 38 is the importance of tradition, the importance of tradition. Keep in mind, Christians wash their hands and so do Jews. In fact, many different people from different walks of life wash their hands, right? What's amazing to me is Jesus captures their attention based upon not fulfilling a certain traditional act. That's washing of the hands. Now, we all know that washing of hands before a meal is necessary because it's a hygienic need, right? It's a purpose for that, right? What I think we need to pay close attention to here is this. Biblically, if I don't wash my hands, am I a sinner? Is eating with unclean hands make me a sinner? Did I commit a sin? The answer to that would be no, right? The answer to that would be no. But what if I were to say to you that traditions like washing your hands, although it may be necessary for the protection of your health, in the eyes of a Jew, under their law, it's a serious insult. If we're going to look at those traditions, we have to see that those types of traditions have a high criteria that actually gives off the vibe of a sin. Now, keep in mm. mind, right, deciding not to wash your hands isn't sinful. But according to the Jews, it comes off that way. Again, none of this is biblical. Therefore, this is an example of extreme tradition and how those types of traditions take on a form of deceit, misguided truth. And it is led with an enforced authority that they mm. have the ability to perform on those that they see not following their tradition. Right now. That Jesus has gotten their attention. Let's see what he does in verse 39. Then the Lord said to them, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Jesus is without a doubt showing extreme strategicness here. What he did was he failed to honor their law on purpose and questioned their morality. Yes their righteousness he uses an illustration here to explain where the pharisees have fallen short at so i want us to really look at the example he gives he says look at a cup is it not just as important to wash the outside of the cup but also the inside of that same cup now i want us to stop and ask ourselves how important is it for us to wash ourselves i would think it's extremely important and buy clothes that we wear. I would think that matters. 
Because I think appearance matters to many of us. You know, how we look, the way we present ourselves is extremely important, right? I remember also a long time ago when you go and search for some of these corporate jobs, they wanted to make sure that you were clean cut, shaved, right? To the point that your image reflects the image of the corporation that you were joining, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, things have changed now, right? Society has flipped the script in certain places. I do know that when I watch the Michael K show, right? The radio show I listen to when I head out to work, that the Yankees are notorious for requesting that all their players shave, right? It's a tradition, right? It's important to them, right? The point is, is that we do the best that we can to look our best, whether it's for the tradition of the place that you're hoping to work for or whether it's for your own self-confidence. Now, most of these actions address the outward portion of ourselves, but I think what we fail to ignore is the inward portion of ourselves. Last week, we talked so much about the light within your body, right? And that we can also look forward to something that David says when he says that I hide that word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It has a lot to do with a transformative approach from the inside out, not from the outside in, right? So I want to ask us all a question, right? Ask yourself, what's going on with your heart? What's going on within? Are you full of greed and wickedness? Are you selfish? Do you think only about yourself? Are you a giver? Do you care about others, not just yourself? Those are important questions that can't be ignored. And you have to ask yourself. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you see what Jesus is doing here. He's questioning the morality of the Pharisees about what they're doing, right? Those are some serious questions that he's asking them. And you have to ask yourself, right? You're looking at the text and you're seeing how Jesus is approaching these self-righteous individuals. And you yourself, looking at the text, you have to ask yourself these questions. I did. Right? I asked myself these very questions. Right? What am I doing? Where's my heart at? Right? So, Jesus asks the Pharisees this. So, I asked yourself to do the same thing. Now, let's look and continue to verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So let's look up this word called woe, because Jesus has used it often here, right? So what does it mean, Daniel? Woe means grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity, or trouble. Woe is an explanation or exclamation of judgment on others. Woe as an explanation of misfortune on oneself. Woe as an explanation of sadness over others. And woe may give way to forgiveness, comfort, and deliverance. So in this text, I see woe being used as an explanation of judgment on others. Right? It's interesting. They called him in to have dinner, and now he's calling out the hypocrisy. Right? Jesus actually made some valid points here, right? He says basically that yes, right? And this can go to us as well, but listen to what he says. He says, yes, right? It's important about what you do with the herbs and the stuff that you get at the garden and how that transitions for us is yeah, you pay your tithe and your offerings. That's a good thing. But you ignore the basic and yet important elements of the law, and that will be justice and love of God, which means so much, and it makes so much sense, because Christ came for a specific purpose, right? He came to address the heart issue that we have, sin that's living in us, because you forget about others. And sometimes, instead, the main focus is about us, right? It's about you, the center of the world, right? You're the star. It's all about your happiness. 
you know, are you the hero, right? As believers, we are asked to place Christ in the center. I know that's a huge issue for some of us. I know it is not something that can easily be accepted, right? It's tough. But we have to remember Christ died, the death that we should die. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through Him. So see what God has done here, right? The human will has to be under submission to admit, to acknowledge Christ, who is a man, who is Himself God, right? That God came in the form of a man to be our Savior, and yet there are so many of us who reject it. In fact, we find it blasphemous, right? So I just want us to really remember that self-righteousness has a lot to do with you and about what you declare to be right and about what you think is the approach, right? Funny mm -hmm. enough, um, something to add here, use the word submission. And I just want to remind people that submission isn't a bad thing. A lot of the times people look at the word submission and think that you are putting something at more like a greater value to you and that's insulting when it's like, no, not necessarily. Like submission to maybe a better idea, submission to um, maybe a better perspective or a different ideal. Those are all things that are not bad it's not bad to submit in certain circumstances and submitting to god i think is a pretty good deal yeah it's it's pretty much to allow him to be the one who's the deciding factor over your life you have accepted him as lord over your life you have allowed him to be what's important to you so i agree with you you know so often especially in marriages we know in the scripture it says wives submit to your husbands but as we talked about in terms of righteous judgments and in terms of being a part of a relationship where you can trust that individual that all has to do with a lot of what we talked about in chapter in the episode number four about experiencing god's love you have to discern correctly you have to be able to realize that some individuals who live a life fear of God and also living the Christian difference opens the door where being submissive is fine because you know they're not going to take advantage of you right so quickly if we look at the definition of love love is patient right you know that your partner is going to be patient with you that he's kind or she's kind right they are not envious right you also know they don't boast Right? They don't keep records of wrong. Right? They don't do certain things to you to make you feel like you're not valued. Right? So if we're running through the definition of love in Corinthians, I believe, chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it's not envy, it's not boast, it is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it keeps no records of wrongs. Right? It always trusts, always hopes, always protects. Love never fails. It delights in the truth. So sometimes if you're going to, not sometimes, but all the times, rather, when you get involved with somebody or you're looking for a specific type of partner, those sort of characteristics, the love of God, right? You have to see it in that person. You have to know that that person carries it. You have to know that they're operating in that, right? Then you can begin to trust them and be submissive towards them. You have to know that the love of God is in them and they will never do anything to harm you, right? So at some point, we will break down that and talk about, at least to me, what I believe is a good way to find a partner, a partner that honors God, a partner that reads their Bible, a partner that wants to see the best side of you, who wants to be a part of something where both of you have a thirst and desire for God. And in those moments, that's how you're able to discern whether or not that person can help you along in life. And you both can lead, lead a successful life full of love, compassion for God and for one another and for others as well. Right. People that don't 
express those type of characteristics are people that don't deserve your love, unfortunately. And there's nothing against them, but it has a lot to do with what you believe in Christ and God is what will lead you to the most successful life. So that's a little bit more context in regards to being submissive, right? You know, God's not going to take advantage of you. You know, God loves you, right? You know, he's done. He sacrificed his son for your benefit. So being vulnerable in prayer, being vulnerable to God is letting him know your pain, your heartaches, your issues, and him taking care of it. And you aligning yourself to do things and him placing you in situations where you're going to be successful. So that's just a bit more context. So let's look at the rest of some of these woes that Jesus raises in this text. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So when I look at this text, right, one of the most things that I see is, right, the Pharisees wanted the most important seats in the synagogues and respecting greetings in the marketplace. In my mind, in my eyes, that sounds like privilege to me, right? Wanting to be loved based upon status. Sounds really biased to me as well. In fact, if you look at the book of James chapter 4 verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Right? In that same book, in James chapter 2 verse 1 through 9, it says quite a bit here. I'm going to let Daniel read what it says. And I want you guys to take notes and pay attention to what he says here about this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and says, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to who you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. As you can see, based upon these types of actions, the Pharisees were living sinful. And it was encouraged and promoted in the culture to behave as such. Which is why Jesus questioned them. And that didn't take well to them to be corrected, right? In the book of Proverbs, it tells us clearly in chapter 12, verse 1, that whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction, it's stupid. Let me read that one more time. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, personally, you know, that's a very accurate verse here, right? And it's necessary. I myself have lacked discipline, right? I've lacked discipline, and it comes in areas of my life. and. I haven't paid attention to the knowledge of consistency sometimes. I have rejected correction and tried to do things on my own. I was stupid in these moments, believe it or not. Now, let's be clear about something as well. Just because you were stupid in a moment or a situation doesn't mean you're stupid overall. Just means in that moment, you were. And it's important to recognize we all have moments like that. And times like that. And it's important that you learn from them, right? Any thoughts to this, Daniel? 
Word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, we all have moments. I think you can have put that better, honestly. Yeah, like, we all have these moments when we do something, like, oh, I can't believe I did that. If a person says they never had those moments, then I don't know what to tell you, right? And stupidness <laughs> is just, is, is another term for just being foolish, right? Right? We all make mistakes. We're not perfect, none of us. Now, personally, I just want us to remember that, okay? Doesn't mean you're stupid overall, right? You know, the difference sometimes between stupidity and ignorance is ignorance means you just didn't know. Stupid, stupidness means you did know, but you did it anyway, right? You knew about it, but you, you made the mistake anyway, and that's okay. In life, we have moments when we do that, and then we change. Right. I will add this though. Um, when you do make mistakes, don't let it discourage you from continuing to try. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I notice people can make some mistakes where they just feel like they can't press forward from it afterwards. Like there's no mistake that you can't recover from. So don't get discouraged. Yeah. That's all I wanted to add. Gotcha. Yeah. Use it as a life learn lesson. Mm-hmm. All right, next woe, Daniel. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Now, let me make something clear here. And I had to think about this, right? Jesus is saying something here that I haven't completely grasped, right? I could be wrong. I'm not 100% sure, right? Let me go over this. Jesus says, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Now, I believe that Jesus is talking about Pharisees being spiritually dead. And even though the Pharisees are alive and well, sure, so is many of us. But spiritually, they are dead. And that is what makes them unmarked graves, right? They are not worthy of conglomeration. And should therefore be completely ignored and forgotten. Because the stuff that they spew is nonsense and full of death, not life. So there's a point in the scripture where Jesus is talking to a man. And a man wants to follow him. But he says, let me go bury my father, I believe, or my mother. Not 100% sure, right? So I'm just paraphrasing. And then Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, right? He's really talking about the fact that even when we look at today, us who are followers and believers of Christ, right? Our soul has been saved, right? We belong to the Lord, right? So we have our flesh and then we have our spirit. Our spirit has been saved. We are alive because Christ is within us, which kind of enables us to do good, right? Which enables us to sometimes have these moments of conviction. Because the Holy Spirit is present within us and we know what we ought to do. And sometimes we don't do it, right? There are some people who don't believe in God. And for that reason, they're spiritually dead. So they're walking around in their flesh. They're alive in this world. But after their spirit has been renewed, right? Jesus hasn't come in and taken real estate with it. Instead, they are vulnerable to other forces out there, other belief systems out there, right? And we're not going to get into that detail. I'm pretty sure we'll try to cover that either next week or the week before after that. But I just want us to understand that the mentality that these Pharisees had, which we're going to get into a bit, was different. Now, I encourage people to look into that verse. And if they disagree with me or they have a better approach or their expertise is exceeds mine, right? I encourage you to email me, right? So it's speeded83 at gmail.com. So I'll spell it out for you. S as in Sam, P as in Peter, E as an elephant, E as an elephant, D as in dog, E as an elephant, D as in dog, 83 at gmail.com. And you're entitled to correct me if you find what I say to be wrong or you have a different understanding or interpretation of that specifically. Okay. This is the Truth for the Matters podcast. You know, we share insight and understanding about the scripture 
we try to be consistent. But if there's something that you find to be a little bit off, don't hesitate to reach out to me and I would definitely respond. So let's move on to the next wall. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Yeah, so barking out orders, being a dictator, and not helping is something that God doesn't approve of. In fact, if we go to the book of Matthew chapter 20, and we look at 26 to 28, what's it say there? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one can't achieve that by not working or putting their hands to the plow, right? Being a spectator or observer doesn't do that at all, right? So I want to make sure that we understand that. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourself have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. Okay, so there's a point in the scripture where Jesus tells the Pharisees that their father is the devil. Now, let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 42 to 47, and it reads. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me, which is why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Yeah, so the reality is Israel didn't honor the prophets who were sent by God to provide a message. Instead, they found reasons to be controversial, right? They refused to show any level of love or discernment. Right. So for more insight, I would say read the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah and the Minor Prophets. As a matter of fact, check out Judges. Right. Check out First and Second Kings. Look at how these men of God were treated by their own towns. Right. It's interesting. Right. Jesus also mentions that none of the prophets are ever accepted in their own towns. Right. So I want you to understand some of these things. Right. That. A lot of the things that Jesus is saying prior to what he is saying, it came to pass in these books before Jesus' appearance. So he's addressing them, right? Now, there was a point in which Daniel said, right, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering, right? With all the lies, right, the false teachers, the deceitfulness, right? the laws that aren't biblical but culturally inspired, you see how self-righteousness can cause others to stumble and have created them a stumbling block, right? You see all these things transpiring because these are the impacts that they've had on their own people, right? And I think that we can't look at these moments and not pay close attention to the fact that it's impacted a lot of people, right? One of the verses I think about is in Matthew 16, verse 23, which said, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Right, I also think about Matthew 23, 13, that also said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Yeah, so I want us to realize 
that at the end of the day, what we can't do and what we shouldn't do is cause a spark of negativity, cause a dangerous element of leading people astray. We have to be mindful of that because if we're not mindful of that, our own self-righteousness can get in the way of people, right? And we and the reason why it can get in the way of people is because we're causing issues, division among us, right? We can't allow those certain things to bother us. We can't allow those certain things to hinder us, okay? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like a crab in a barrel type of mindset. See people trying to climb out of something and you you know you pull them back down in into the pits kind of reminds me of uh <laughs> yeah something ma used to say about uh pigs rolling around in a pen you know just rolling around in slothfulness and not wanting anybody else to get out and be clean so mm-hmm. so they're operating in error to each other yeah they're operating yeah. in error <laughs> and then they're trying to what happens is when you're ignorant of the scripture you allow culture to be the deciding factor for you when you have to come out of the aspect of culture and know God's word for yourself. That's how you avoid error, especially when it happens in culture. That's how you Mm. avoid that. You don't want culture to inspire you so much that you don't know what God's word is trying to say to you. Right. And I'm showing you how self-righteousness that was practiced with the Pharisees have become a roadblock, a stumbling block to those who didn't know the word, right? Didn't know anything. That's why when Jesus came, he preached about their hypocrisy. He pointed it out about their traditions because it's gone long on enough, right? It's happened mm-hmm. long enough. And these people and their favoritism and their cultural practices, Jesus immediately recognized it and spoke it out and shared it. That's why they want to kill him. It's like you're ruining the things that we're doing here, right? You're ruining it. So <laughs> I find it interesting because it, it, it was funny. Like, you know, who is this fellow? Who taught him? Where does he get this from, right? It's like he came in and just spun the whole thing out of control. So what would be the moral of this message that you want people to leave with? Be careful of clinging to empty traditions. It's really pointless and carries no weight with God whatsoever. Be mindful that self-righteousness comes in various ways. Be careful not to consider yourself so righteous that you can't identify your wrongs and address them. Right? You might be further along in your faith with God. But no matter what, remember this verse in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. Except the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. But God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master. Servants stand or fall. And they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. Yeah, so we have to be mindful of those sort of things. As we walk in our faith, be encouraging, right? Romans says we should be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. But don't look at a person who's still grown and developing. Put them on. Instead, be encouraging, motivating, right? Inspiring, right? And hope that one day they will continuously open up their Bible and there will be discussions and there will be an openness to start living out their faith in a much better and profound way, right? I guess the best example that we can think about is Kanye West. He's a member of the body of Christ. Obviously, some of the things that he's done so far has played in the public sphere. And you do have some believers who have built their relationship with God and have come along in it and they're doing well. 
but then they're pointing the finger at some of the things that Kanye has done. And because he's a celebrity, a lot of it is playing out in the public sphere, right? We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but there are some of us that are pointing the finger at him. And they're talking about their self-righteousness and where they are in their faith and how things have gone well with them. And I'm just saying, let's just be happy that he's came to the faith and he's making an attempt to include others that might not be in the faith and secureness in the way that some of us are when we read in our Bibles daily. But the exposure that Kanye has given in terms of the records that he's selling, in terms of the fact that it's a message about Christ, millions and millions of people have downloaded his album and hearing the gospel preached and shared in the song can impact somebody around the world. And that's all that we want, the gospel to spread and to impact others. As long as that's the way that's being done, I think that we can all rejoice and be happy. Right? Agreed. Now, let's end this with some devotional time. So this week's devotion is just a reminder to many that have gone astray off the path of serving God. It, it's, it can be a bit harsh, but I want you to look at it in the context of, you know, if you're on a high horse, you can come off of it. As your creator, God knows you were made from the dust of the earth. That's out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He knows you are a jar of clay. That can be found in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 7 in the NIV version. For he knows how we are formed, and he, he remembers that we are dust. And that's out of Palms, chapter 103, verse 14 in the NIV version. A mere mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. God knows your power is limited even if you forget. And you regularly forget. It's easy to think too highly of yourself and depend on your own strength in a way that dust wasn't designed for. Pride may tell you you're invincible and powerful, but God knows the truth. Thankfully, he's moved with compassion when he sees your vulnerability. And that's out of Palms, chapter 103, verse 13 through 14. And as a good father, he patiently disciplines you. While you may spend your time making great plans, God spends his time making great sense. He will always choose your character over your success. Ask him to open your eyes to your own limitations, allowing them to keep you leaning on him. I will also say this, it's very dangerous sometimes to lean on your own understanding of things, even though you may think you are right. Even though you may think this is 100% the right way of doing things, I promise when you lean on your own understanding, at some point in your journey or in your walk, you are going to come to a point where you realize you probably should have went the other way or the way that you did choose might have been too much for you. And so in order to prevent those mistakes from happening, it's important to be humble and to submit to a power that is a bit greater than yours. Because like God says, our power is limited. God, I pray and I say this. I am painfully aware of my limitations. I ask you to keep me from being proud about my accomplishments. May I lean on you and count on you to do the miracles I need. And in Jesus' name, we pray. And in your holy name, we say, Amen. Amen.